Shire, and you're listening to Film Wax Radio. Hello, everybody. This is Adam Shartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio. It's Friday, October 2nd, 2020. This is episode 637. Rick Rowley is back on the show. He was on most recently last year, I think it was, with his uh, documentary 16 Shots. He's back. With a new documentary, it's called Kingdom of Silence, and it follows the disturbing story of the murder, the assassination of Jamal Khashoggi, you know, who was a Saudi um, citizen and had to flee for his life. And he ended up uh, writing for the Wa- uh, Washington Post and then was, was killed. Uh, and we will be talking about that whole story because it still has a lot of unknown information, and I think it's an important documentary. It's called Kingdom of Silence, and it premieres today, Friday, October 2nd, on Showtime. So we'll have a conversation with Rick. But first, uh, we have uh, Joshua Leonard, who is a friend of the podcast. This is, Job's third, jo- uh, this is Josh's third appearance on the podcast. I'm I'm almost certain we he, we had him on a couple of years ago when he was in Steven Soderbergh's film Unsane, and then we had him again on more recently, only a couple of months ago actually, uh, where he was kind enough to come on and, and talk about his uh, late friend Lynn Shelton. You know, Josh starred in one of her more seminal films, Hump Day, and they've worked together over the years. And then I contacted him, and he great, very graciously agreed to uh, come on and, and, and talk about Lynn. And through these conversations, we developed a little bit of a friendship here, I think it's safe to say, as I do with many of, of my regular guests. And by the way, you know, it's not so arbitrary. There are people that are out there. I just enjoy them. I enjoy their energy. I enjoy their creativity. There is some sort of, uh, I don't know, if you do anything like this, you know what I'm talking about. Or perhaps you just, when you go to a social situation or when you used to go to social situations like a party or some sort of gathering, you know, you'd meet somebody, but you just knew, oh, man, that person. And so it sort of happens when I'm, book in the show and I'm, and I, I'll, I'll see somebody in a movie or on uh, somewhere and I'll just think god I got to talk to them something whether it's their work and I'm curious about it or it's you know their their personality there's something that grabs me and I'm like I get very very uh, focused on connecting with them and and I think that uh, Rick is like that Joshua Leonard is certainly somebody like that as are so many of the people that I have on my show and that I've had back over time. But this time, jo- I, I, I have a bonus in Joshua's segment, which is coming up in a moment. And that is, we are being joined by another person who I felt that way about. I'm not just just saying it. I mean it. Because I met Jess Weixler many years ago. She probably won't remember it. But it was very briefly at some... I think it was at a rooftop film party or event or something like that. I could be wrong. I just remember the circumstance. I already knew her work. 
and I had wanted to meet her and uh, I was very th- happy to have had that opportunity and I've been keeping up with her work over the years as an actor and then I, I met Josh on a movie they did together some years ago called The Lie when I did a Q I did a I moderated a Q&A with Josh and that's how I met him many years ago uh, and then uh, and she was in that with him and now they're in a new movie that Josh has uh, written well it's an improvised film but that let's say that he has uh, created and directed called fully realized humans and it's it's a lot of fun and it's 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 it puts everything out there let me just put it that way uh no holds barred and and jess and he are again reunited in this film again so i'm going to see it tonight at the woodstock film festival where it's going to be screening and a drive-in and i have not done this yet um a number of movie uh, excuse me a number of film festivals have have gone ahead and pursued implementing a drive-in uh, a component into their film festival because there is really no other option and it's, we're heading now out of the milder months we're heading into the chillier months and so i, I at least up here in the northeast and uh, the the unfortunate thing is is that that probably won't be an option for the rest of the year so i'm trying to squeeze in at least one more uh, or one drive-in before that happens and um, i'm glad it's this so What's happening tonight is at in Greenville, New York, which is in Greene County, New York. Uh, the Woodstock Film Festival will be screening uh, a short film by uh, Jennifer LaFleur called Baby Kate. And Jennifer is in, has a small role in Fully Realized Humans, coincidentally. And, but she's made a short film, so they're going to show that. And then they're going to show Josh's film, Fully Realized Humans. Josh will be there. I, be, I think Jennifer will be there. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And then Larry Fessenden, who was just on the show, it will be there because he's showing as part of the uh, celebration about his company, Class I Picks. They're going to show, after Fully Realized Humans, they're going to show a film that was out, that one of their films called Bitter Feast, which Larry wrote and produced and which stars Joshua Leonard. So it's a very, very incestuous evening on a certain level. And, and, uh, I'm going to go and just support the Woodstock Film Festival, uh, Larry Fezzett and Joshua Leonard, Jennifer LaFleur and everybody else. So, uh, okay, that's the long and short. So Fully Realized Humans is a laugh-out-loud raunchy comedy about what it means to become fully realized humans. A month before their baby is born, Elliot, played by Josh Leonard, and Jackie, played by Miss Wexler, in razor-sharp performances, attempt to rid themselves of the inherited dysfunction of their own upbringings. In their madcap journey to self-realization, they decide to check a few things off their bucket list in order to prepare for a life together with a new addition. From trying new sex positions, getting in a fistfight, and having a face-off with their own parents, the couple confront their past demons head-on in the hopes of becoming the best parents for their own child. The film also stars Tom Bauer, Beth Grant, Michael Chiefo, Ross Partridge, Jennifer LaFleur, uh, Janiska Bravo, who has been on this podcast, and others. And again, it will be screening this evening. And I, perhaps there are still tickets if you're, if you're listening and you're in the Hudson Valley and you can make it. It will be, uh, the evening starts at around 7 o'clock. There are, will be food carts if you're hungry. There will be Q&As. 
So here it is. This is the two stars of Fully Realized Humans. This is Joshua Leonard and Jess Weixler here, only on Film Wax Radio. You're such a talented filmmaker. Uh, drop everything else and continue making films. Thanks, Adam. Is this your? I, I might. You should. It's, uh, it's the it's 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 the second. Well, I co-directed a documentary that 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 is is nice. It's the second narrative feature that I count. This is the second narrative feature you count. So the yes. other one was ours, also. What's up? Yes. Yeah. It is the one in between. I'm not going to count. That means I'm attached to both of them. It's true. Um, it's true. I remember the earlier one because the lie because uh, we did a Q and A many years. That's how I met you originally. But anyway, it's not about that. This is about fully realized humans, and it's going to have a screening. This isn't the premiere, is it? No, this isn't the premiere. Um, but because of of COVID screenings um, and and how that's affected so many festivals and kind of the the you know re the restrictions that we've requested, so it doesn't just you know get put on the internet willy nilly. I think it is. I think it will be the third festival that it has played live at, and it's actually oh. really exciting. I wish Jess was here, but. Um, I happen to be up in the Hudson Valley with my family right now. And so we're going to be at the Woodstock screening. Uh, Ross Partridge and Jen LaFleur, who are in the film, are going to be here as well. Uh, they live in Los Angeles, don't they? They do, they do. But Ross has family out here. So does Jennifer. The, uh, the floor is getting done. Ross has family out here. Pedro Segundo, who does all the... Um, all the drumming in the film, all the, the, the live improvised drumming that we use for the score. He's coming up from the city for the screening. So it's, it, it's, gonna, be, it's gonna be the closest thing that we will have had to, um, you know, to, to uh, uh, an actual film festival screening where we get to represent the film. I'll just sit on my own and watch more kitten videos and like hope there's a new episode of British Bake Off coming out to deal with the FOMO. <laughs> With everybody hanging out in the woods watching our movie. There's no more. Fun. We're in a post-FOMO landscape because nobody's at anything except they, that that it's got restarted on on Saturday. Is it uh, this Friday night? Friday Friday night is the is the Woodstock screening. Yeah, uh, well, and, and it's also one of my favorite regional festivals. I've been there several times over the years and um and so it should be fun and exciting and i wish you were here jess yeah thanks <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna be there too are you gonna be oh there? 
Now everybody's going to be there. I feel terrible. I didn't almost wasn't going to say it because I didn't want Jess to feel even more. Um, but, and you know what's really strange is um, Jess's oh, uh, uh, very young daughter Beatrice and her husband Hamish are also going to be there. Um, <gasps> both her parents are going to be there. What a little bitch! Um, your believe it. Your junior high crush is going to be there. Oh, Travis. Of course Travis. it's Travis. Travis has been at every screening so far. <laughs> now, when I was here last year at the Woodstock Film Festival, my son was with me, my 16, at the time 15-year-old, now 16. He's coming with me because I got a car, so I may as well fill it with all my children, my one children. And, but last year I took him to see Ben Kasalka's film, Banana Split, and you know, um, yeah. and he yeah. was there. Yeah, and we had a great time, and uh, my son really loved the movie. It's a great movie. How old? Your son's 16, right? Yeah, he's going to love this movie, too. Perfect. Yeah, Ben Ben is a very talented director. I felt I felt very lucky to coerce him back into DPing right. our film after after he'd gone out and become a big-time director. I want to say one We really thing. nabbed him on the whole it's only going to be seven days thing. I, I think that you guys are all, because of these connections of Ross uh, and Jennifer who are uh, play supporting roles in this film. And we, we should say what it's about in a minute, but I want to say it's all sort of these part of, in a beautiful way, part of the Shelton universe. You know, I, I don't know. I thought of that. That is, I, you know, I met Ben Kasulke through Lynn Shelton. Um, I met Jess uh, while we were on the festival circuit with Hump Day. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's very true. I think a lot of, you know, a lot of dear relationships formed out of that, that movie and that community. Yeah. Your film is about, it's called, again, it's called Fully Realized Humans. And, uh, it is about a couple on the verge of having their first baby. And of course, for anybody who's done that before, and there might be a few of you out there, it's a, it's a big deal. It's, uh, Everything becomes real, really real, real, real when you bring a person into the world. Uh, it's, 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 and, and I think, you know, this couple is definitely uh, <laughs> coming to that understanding. Yeah, we yeah. really take um, great expectations to the extreme. We have very high expectations for ourselves to be good parents or a, the desire to be better parents than our characters felt like our parents were to us and how messed up we are from different things about the way we were raised and hoping that we don't pass it on, but inevitably right. we, we probably will. That's the inevitable. That's this, that's the, that's kind of the difficult part of parenting, but it's a matter yeah, of so how it, you manage that. Go ahead, Josh. Well, I was just going to say, um, for me, it's always a matter of um, can I can I manage to fuck up in a different way than I fucked up in the past, or than my parents fucked up on me? Can can I can I at least fuck up differently <laughs> with my own kid <laughs> and not make the exact same mistakes? Um, you know, and and knowing that that human fallibility, especially in our most intimate relationships is, is so much a part of, uh, you know, what, what, 
what makes us people and not gods. And, and the older I get, the more, you know, I, I, I think the onus is on you when, when you have a kid or at least on me, um, I really felt the pressure to that, that existential terror of, you know, will I be good enough? Can I be good enough? Can I, can I like really participate in, you know, shaping a human mind and morality and can I keep this person safe? And do I have the, you know, the, the, the tools and the spiritual centeredness and, and, and I was a fairly new parent at the time that I had this, the idea for this film. Um, Jess was six months pregnant um, at the time. And, and I was, I was, you know, I was in a funk kind of uh, uh, struggling with some of these bigger questions. And, and, and I called Jess and said, do you want to make a movie in two months when you're eight months pregnant? Um, we'll do it really quickly. And, uh, you know, because I knew that she was grappling with some of the same stuff about to be a, a first time parent herself. And you know, it's occurring to me, Josh, I think you brought it up actually when I was like two months pregnant, like, Hey, we should make a film. Uh, and then when you brought it up again at like six months pregnant, I was like, he's not kidding. He actually <laughs> <laughs> That may be true. It's still a much better story if if it just came up at six months. <laughs> yeah. So then we had two months to actually figure out what it was gonna, what the story was gonna be, and make it. And then it was a matter yeah. of calling friends. It really was. It was um, almost everybody who collaborated on the film with us was was a friend in some form er, erica erica chitty cohen who plays um who plays our doula kind of de facto therapist in the movie um was actually allison and my their uh, uh, uh doula in real life uh erica helped deliver my my own daughter <laughs> so wow. that's how we found that's how we found her we, we went through different people we're like who can improvise being a doula and <laughs> we came to probably a doula mm -hmm. it doesn't always work once you turn on the camera yeah but any cool. of those actors who weren't doulas they were just going to be making stuff up about how to give birth you couldn't have that <laughs> you couldn't put just some actor in there to right that's true and then you didn't really have make believe ross and jen and janixa bravo um, who who is an old friend as well? Who's a wickedly talented writer, director, actor. Um, um, Lemon and 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 her new one, which I haven't seen yet, which I just oh, hear wow. is incredible. Um, and um, yeah, Zach Shields who punches me in the face. Have we said yet on this uh, on this call that the, that it was improved that? We well, I, I, a... I know, but I, I was getting, it just seems like that last, the penultimate scene, or is it the last scene, the whole, the whole section with the parents, because ultimately, as we've been saying, this is about coming to terms with mistakes parents have made and not wanting to repeat them. And you invite your parents, who we already get information throughout the film, are difficult people, perhaps complicated relationships exist here. They all, you invite them together to sit in your living room for a 
confrontation. Um, an, an intervention. Slash intervention. And you really, it's almost, a, it's really, I was like, when did he write this scene? Because you guys really went deep and I found myself all teary-eyed. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't mean to make light of it. I was, I got very, I did get emotional. I thought there were some really powerful moments that, you know, with the, it was right, I think I was planning to write down the actors' names of the play parents, but. Um, it was uh, Tom Bauer and Michael Chiaffo and Beth Grant. And Michael plays. My dad. Mike, you're right. Dad. So he, yeah, okay. That's his single father, yeah. He, okay, right. Who had the, who was struggling with uh, addiction. Uh, let's just say that. Mm-hmm. And then, and your father was just uh, uh, angry. <laughs> he was, he was an old, yeah. An old and your mother was an enabler. Yes, which would, which was, there was some thin veiling going on in those relationships. Obviously they were, um, you, you, you know, uh, 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 played up for comedic uh, form, but, but it, it, there was, there was definitely, we definitely, Jess and I both got to work out some of our own stuff in that movie. Yeah. And we kind of it knew what we wanted to get to in those scenes, but with that many suddenly new people in the room, Josh and I had really hit a stride with each other, sort of knowing how to repeat the the things that we were finding to make it all match up and to shoot it all. But with that many people in the room, it was a lot of hashing it out. <laughs> it was a lot it was a lot of hashing it out and then and then I will also say it was a solid two and a half months in the editing room getting getting that scene in in the shape that it was and 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 when i when i say scene that that confrontation and the uh, the ebbs and flows of that conversation are really the third act of the movie so it's kind of a scene that was also an act um mm. so yeah it was you know, but but we had really talented people, and um, and um, you know, like 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 a lot of these movies, so much of what the scene was about was just um, actors sitting down and at, at the beginning of the day and talking about our own experiences and and finding finding those seeds of truth that you know both revealing the seeds of truth in ourselves and finding the seeds of truth in the other actors that you know we could then play with when when the camera started rolling Mm -hmm. and that takes you know it takes a lot of it takes a lot of trust and um and and i always feel like you know even if people are giving me uh uh you know, different versions of their their own truth or or hyperbolized versions. I always find it an honor when when you know anybody brings a part a piece of themselves to to a role. And I really mm-hmm. think that you know, with with so many of the actors in this movie, that's that's kind of that's what that's what gave it the weight that I was hoping for. Even though it's not a <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of stupid dick jokes in the movie too but um but underneath that is some real emotional honesty that i think came as a result of um you know actors trusting other actors yeah 
It's very well said. And since Josh and I have known each other for over a decade now, even though this thing was like, oh, it just came together in two months, it really is 10 years in the making on our dynamic and, and knowing how we can push each other's at each other and drive each other crazy. <laughs> and, you guys meet? and also, huh? How did you guys meet? Oh, we in met? real life. Um, Either one. <laughs> it's a, it's cheesy. It's Sundance. We met at Sundance when he was doing Hump Day, and I was there with Teeth, and we were like, "You're pretty cool." Let's work together someday. And that someday, I think, was like the next, like six months later or something, we did the lie, or a year later, we did the lie. It was, okay. it was, pretty, it was pretty quickly, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then sort of always said we wanted to work together again, but just continued. I think there's the, yeah, and I think there's another, I think there's a trilogy here, because these films kind of. We have, we we have something in the works. Jess and I will work together again. Oh, <laughs> getting a, a scoop, a scoop here, potentially. Potential scoop. That's all we can say. Well, I'm going to hold you to it, so <laughs> it's more than a scoop. You know, if you say it, it will be something like that. I feel uh, good about that. Destiny, guys. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so, so Jess, you're in LA. I am in LA, which is it's a bummer that that Josh is up upstate New York and the is it upstate New York? Would you consider yeah, it upstate? Valley. Yes. Yeah. I'm in the Hudson yeah. Valley too. I, I think we're pretty close. Yeah. I think we're geographically relative pretty close. We are. I have a lot of jealousy because it seems like fall is happening there and it's getting cool and we're about to hit another heat wave. Yeah, I know. And the fires are still burning. I mean it's all a little this is overwhelming. That looks yeah, refreshing, Josh. The trees. Really? Can you? This is my tree. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Adam, I, your tree is amazing. Do you see the oh, billions of trees doing? that Josh That's is bragging about? Wait a minute. I got to go outside. <laughs> Look at him. I see your pasture and raise you a. Oh. A oh, cherry farm. Oh, yeah. I do want to throw in briefly, just on our film, that um, yes. that shooting eight months pregnant is awesome, and I recommend for everybody to do it. Well, I think everybody should give it a try. We've said this in other things, but I like right before I kissed Josh at the fountain, I vomited. And like there were just all kinds of treasures that came with shooting yeah. pregnant. Well, you gave a great brave performance because <laughs> you're eight months pregnant. You are literally just about to. Uh, we're out to cause trouble. Give, we're out give to birth. give we're out, birth. Out to give birth. Give birth. Fully realized humans. That's a good title. It, it it hits the nail on the head in the sense that. That's what we're all hopefully striving for, especially when we get to be parents. It's good to have worked out most of your existential wounds or what have you. But I, but I also think, I, I also think there, I, I mean, to me, there's some irony in the title because that's stupid. You're never going to become a fully realized human. It is really, um, you know, the, the, the victory is Pyrrhic because, you know, that there's, 
there's no such thing. Um, and that's Jess and I, you know, part of, I think you get so much uh, built in. Um, the stakes of the movie are so high right off the bat when somebody is eight months pregnant, especially in real life. You're like, oh, wow, something is really happening to that human body. And, and you know, this, this couple is about to confront thing. And, and so, so I, I, I think especially for a little independent film, we, we rolled a lot of production value and uh, movie stakes up into Jess's, um, Jess's pregnant belly. And and I just you know we yeah, talked that a lot. Cost a, like, what? It was a really astonishing prosthetic. It would have cost so much. <laughs> <laughs> but but Jess and I talked a lot about the the mission of the movie being these two people kind of um, drinking their own Kool Aid a bit and and going on a mission to either become the best parents who have ever existed on the planet earth or potentially wind up in a mental institution with their future child coming to visit them. Right. Well, I think by the end of it, you end up better children anyway, of uh, parents. Sure. Because you, 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 I think so. There's yeah, so we actually faced our fear. That's was the beautiful moment is when you kind of forgave the parents, then that you just, they were, I don't know. You got to see the scene. If you're watching out there, please see the film fully. Because that, that scene, there was so much, I don't know, you say it was done in the edit room. I don't quite believe that. But, but, but I think that uh, there's such uh, real performances. They're very authentic moments. And um, Oh, I don't, I don't mean the authenticity was created in the no, edit no, room. I, I, mean, I mean, we would shoot hour-long takes. Um, we shot probably four hour-long takes. Oh, and and so it's like a choose your own adventure to try oh. to put it put it together right. um, in in its own structure with its with its ebbs and its flows. Okay. So I don't I don't mean the emotion was manufactured in the edit room. I mean the I mean the shape. You can't do that. I mean anyway. So we know that probably not. Yeah, it's beside the point. It's there. That's all that matters. And I loved it. And that's why I invited you guys on. And you can see it if you're anywhere near the Hudson Valley. It's at the Greenville Drive-In on Friday, October 2nd. It's, uh, and it's following Bitter Feast or, or the other way around. I'm not sure. Um, it's that, before it. Bitter Feast, but after um, Baby Kate. Baby is, Kate, which is Jennifer LaFleur's is, short. Exactly. Which is, really, which is really cool. I did my homework. and I have a pitch for the movie. If you like Step Brothers, you'll probably also like this. Use that element too. Yes. Body As we were making it, I was like, I feel like we're making Step Brothers. If if you like Step Brothers, but you wish there was a little bit more risque and potentially uh, potentially disturbing sex in the movie, yeah, between those brothers, yes, then you might like our movie. I think, I think we, we gave the details. You can go to the woodstockfilmfestival.org to buy tickets. And come on out on Friday, I'll be there. My son Jacob will be there. I'm really interested to see what your son Jacob thinks of this movie because I imagine he, he more directly understands the world of 
was it? It's Banana Splits, right? That was Ben Kazalgi's film. Oh yeah, yeah. No, we watched quite a few things. Yeah, no, this will this will be in his in his wheelhouse, or whatever. And it his will? mother, I, I mentioned it. Sorry. No, just awesome, awesome that this would be in his wheelhouse. <laughs> I think so. I mean, he likes. Yeah, he'll look at the he'll enjoy, he'll appreciate the humor in it a lot, and um. It may maybe relate to the scene with the parents. All right, I'm going to let you know. Karen Pittman. You are lovely. Thank you for taking the time, Adam. Thank you for having us on. This was so awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, and I'll see you on Friday. And Jess, I wish I'd see you, but... Send me some it's pictures, it. guys. Take it's some... It's okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye, guys. Uh, Rick Rowley is an Oscar-nominated, Emmy-winning director. His films have won Television Academy Honors, the DuPont Columbia Award, and a Peabody nomination, and have been and a Peabody nomination, and have been honored at festivals around the world. Rick Rowley's uh, Oscar-nominated feature, Dirty Wars, was the culmination of ten years as a war reporter in Iraq, Afghanistan, and the lesser-known battlegrounds of America's War and Terror. Since then, Rowley has turned his lens on our domestic racial nightmare. His 2019 feature for Showtime, 16 Shots, won Television Academy Honors and a Peabody nomination for its unflinching look at the police murder of Laquan McDonald and the cover-up that followed. His Emmy-winning series, Documenting Hate, unmasked an underground neo-Nazi fight club and a terrorist cell. The series received a DuPont Award and prompted an FBI investigation that led to a dozen arrests. Um, his new film is Kingdom of Silence, which tells the untold story of Jamal Khashoggi, a man who lived his life at the center of the violence and chaos unleashed by America's toxic relationship with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia until it killed him. From his youthful reporting on Osama bin Laden in Afghanistan in the 1980s to his work as spokesman for the Saudi government after 9-11, uh, to his relationship with uh, the revolutions of the Arab Spring, to the shocking details of his final hours, including the old friend who became his assassin, Khashoggi's life never has never examined. His uh, Khashoggi's life has never been examined in such depth and scope, nor his death been so moving. Nor has his death been so movingly recalled. Uh, King of Silence premieres this evening on Showtime. This is the director. Oh, the film has been executive produced by Alex Gibney and Lawrence Wright. This is Mike, conversation with Film Wax Radio friend Rick Rowley back here on Film Wax Radio. This man was a noble man, a courageous man, very serious about the evolution that he was making. He was threatened and intimidated all the time. The Saudi monarchy operates like the mafia. And you don't cross the Godfather. There is no way that that horrific act was carried out without the blessing from the very top of the Saudi government. There's just no way. We've become very good friends over 
a fairly short period of time. Mohammed bin Salman was vetted in Washington. Every aspect of American power rolled out the red carpet for this guy. Jamal Khashoggi was one of the only dissenting voices. To speak freely, he knew what the stakes were. Jamal was publishing articles that were critical of the Saudi regime. That could not be tolerated. To what extent was the Saudi government entangled with Al-Qaeda? Is there a person in the whole world that knows more than Jamal Khashoggi? He'd made a huge sacrifice, his children being held hostage. You are in a war, and you can't give up. You can't disappear. Those are the last words I said to him. The moral of the story is that there is no moral. I mean, what is the morality of this? How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you doing? Where are you? Really good. Um, I'm in a bunker in the Hudson Valley. <laughs> nice. Uh, I'm in the Catskills. We're like neighbors, probably. Wait a minute. Are you? Where are you, buddy? I'm, uh, I'm close to Phoenicia. Okay. Uh, is that off 17? It's, uh, no, it's like Woodst near Woodstock, too. Oh, you're just on the west side of Woodstock. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on the east side. So I'm right across the river. Like, uh... I'm in, I'm just north of Red Hook. Oh, nice. South of Hudson. Yeah. Nice. Good choice. I, I love it. Yeah. I mean, I was actually, you know, I've been grappling with for the last couple of years uh, of doing something like this eventually. And then just a convergence of, 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 of you know, experiences or events um, expedited <laughs> that, not entirely the pandemic, although that certainly played a large part of it. Yeah. In of itself, it was not, it would just kind of help, you know, like move things up, but it didn't necessarily, it wasn't like the leading cause. I had actually, I thought it was more of a other issues around New York City that were yeah. kind of making me frustrated and disappointed, you know. Um, are those Emmys behind you? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sorry. It's like, it's no, no, it's okay. Corner it's, that's, <laughs> I love that. Minor, the only corner that's been <laughs> yeah, the cooler thing would be if I could just have them just sort of peek out of it. Oh, 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 is that an yeah. back It's <laughs> but, right, sort of like a physical humble brag. But there's a desk here that I can't move in front yeah. of. So. No, no, you <laughs> should be proud and you you deserved. You deserve you do good work, you know, not to make you feel subconscious, but you do good work. You know, so and I'm, I was I was excited for the opportunity to talk to you. You know, this film is just so well, it's an important story, uh, Kingdom of Silence, but it's also, I mean, uh, it's so important to uh, get this story out because it, it, it's, it's about journalism in, in this particular moment of time, you know, and which yeah. uh, is in such jeopardy uh, as so much is, you know. Like, we know that dem democracy itself is in jeopardy right now in this country, but then we rely on journalism to, um, you know, to sort of uh, bring us together in that regard. And, and even that now is, is constantly at risk, so. No, completely. No, I mean, that's obviously what, what drew me to the story in the first place was, you know, Jamal was one of our own. He was a journalist who was murdered by the regime that he criticized. And when one of our colleagues is killed, it falls on all of us to try to rescue what we can of his story from, you know, the silence that his killers would impose. Yes, and but his story is even 
Well, it's very complex and very uh, uh, unique, but it's one of the components is, and I don't think a lot, a lot of people knew, and I did, I can admit that I didn't, is that he was a real uh, champion of the, of the government, of the Saudi government, of the Saudi uh, uh, yeah. power, you know, structure for a long time. And then made a very, very, uh, you know, dangerous as it turns out decision to step away. Yeah, no, I mean, he, um, you know, this, our, when I began this project, it began as, as a murder investigation, right? Um, so we started out the normal way. We, you know, we, we talked to several national intelligence agencies. We reviewed the classified intel. We talked to insiders who'd never spoken before. We uncovered some new facts and information about the murder. But uh, the deeper we got, the clearer uh, it became that there were more interesting questions here. I mean, the first is not, uh, not did Mohammed bin Salman order his murder? We know that he did, but why? Not how was this murder undertaken? We now know that with granular detail, but, um, but who was this man who the, the kingdom would risk so much to kill? Uh, and so that question sent us on a journey that, um, uh, you know, that, that, that was far more fascinating. So Jamal's story to me is a story of, uh, of redemption uh, and transformation. You know, I mean, he's, uh, he's a man who lived his life at the center of a whirlwind. You know, uh, not just a journalistic observer, but an active participant in events and moments that have changed, that continue to mark our time here on Earth. And, um, and time and again, he saw his heroes, heroes who he'd helped create, who he'd championed. Um, he saw them turn into villains and, and commit acts of evil. And he was wounded by the evil that he'd participated in, and he was changed by it time and again. Uh, and finally, uh, so, you know, so he begins his career, you know, um, he's a he's a friend of bin Laden. He's the journalist who takes the first photograph ever taken of bin Laden and believes in this moment of, of resistance against the Soviet occupation of Afghanistan. After September 11th, he turns again. Uh, he realizes that he's participated in the creation of a monster and he uh, and he does the only thing that seems possible to to resist that now, which is to join with the Saudi, uh, the Saudi royal family, which is now struggling against bin Laden, in, you know, domestically. So he um, he becomes an aide to the former head of Saudi intelligence and a spokesman for the kingdom in that aftermath. Then you know slowly that becomes more complicated. And when the Arab Spring happens uh, and there's this amazing kind of flowering of hope again in the Arab world, um, he had he watches the princes he served his entire life murder that hope in the streets of Cairo and elsewhere. And, uh, and that's the beginning of the end. And he turns from an insider to a, 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 a critic, and then eventually to an exile, and to finally to, to a martyr. Uh, and that, that character turn is just, it's fascinating. Well, it is fascinating, but I kind of wonder what, uh, what one thing I, I still wonder about, I guess, um, is, what was he, how did he become such a champion to begin with? Like, um, and part of that power, power structure, like, you know, earlier in his career before 9-11, before the Arab Spring, how, um, I mean, it wasn't like it just was overnight. Uh, so I, I, why, why was, what, what made his, him being um, such a good soldier in a sense, you know, for lack it of was, 
Well, no, it was the uh, it was the jihad against the Soviets in Afghanistan. Uh, oh, right. So he right. Yeah. So they were the victim. Well, in a sense, I mean, on the world platform. Yeah, I mean, it's a the that Soviet war is a complex story, right? But uh, to to Jamal's generation in Saudi Arabia, this was uh, the 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 you know the war against the Soviets, the jihad against the Soviets, was this moment of regional awakening. They were like after after centuries of in you know locked in kind of um, colonial darkness, uh, we're reemerging again as a powerful force in history. We're fighting a superpower. We're going to regain the independence of this country from you know a colonizer, um, and. Uh, and they won, like they defeated a superpower, which with the most powerful infantry, like in the world, they, they defeated it. And um, that's, uh, you know, that, that hope and that, you know, of that moment is what drove him, drove him on. And also it's what, it's what made him famous, right? right. He was, he was the, he was one of the few journalists in the world who had access to bin Laden and to these Islamist groups at this moment when they were just emerging and when, and when there was, you know, they were, they were, you know, I mean, you see in the film, welcomed by Reagan into the White House as heroes, um, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you know, another important thread through all this is that, uh, is that this is all American, this is American foreign policy that he's at the I was going right? to get into that next. Yeah, I mean, there's an irony that, I mean, I don't know how many, most people probably know that, you know, maybe because of, uh, of oil, I mean, we've been supplying the Saudis for years with arms with uh, we to help them in their fight against the Soviet Union and then um, and then there's 9-11 <laughs> you know uh, yeah. and then uh, you know I, and, and it's kind of ironic that our president is created some sort of relationship, right? We don't exactly all the details behind it with now with Putin, with Putin and Russia while still maintaining a relationship with Saudi Arabia. Yeah, no, I mean, the, uh, uh, it's uh, bizarre. I don't know how he, so maybe he is a great diplomat and we just can't figure it out. We're not intelligent <laughs> enough, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, so that's, uh, that's the other half of the story that like drew me was, you know, I spent a decade covering wars in the region, right? From right, you've been a journalist in Afghanistan, uh, in Iraq. Yeah, uh, Yemen, Somalia, Yemen. Like, like elsewhere. Yeah, and in every single one of these countries, in one, every single one of these conflicts, Saudi Arabia is an active participant. You know, every combatant on the ground will tell you that. And yet, uh, and yet the fact that the US-Saudi relationship, the US-Saudi alliance has just unleashed violence and chaos on the region and, and wars for decades uh, is something that is not acknowledged or discussed inside the US. Um, uh, so, you know, the ability to open that conversation as well was the other, the other thing that really made me want to tell the story. I mean, one of the takeaways that I hope every American has when they watch it is that this is not, this is not a problem outside ourselves, right? It's not a bunch of exotic, crazy, evil people who live thousands of miles away who are doing bad things, that this regime has been connected, linked at the hip to the United States from the very beginning. I mean, we have protected Saudi Arabia time and again. We've, we've you know, against Saddam Hussein, you know, against, uh, against challenges in Iran, against all sorts of threats, internal, external. The United States has been there defending uh, this regime. Um, and, uh, and, and we are implicated in, in its crimes. I mean, right now, 
Saudi Arabia is responsible for the what the UN calls the largest humanitarian catastrophe on the planet, the war on Yemen, where they've you know, killed tens of thousands of civilians, are starving to death hundreds of thousands of children uh, in a war that, uh, you know, uh, that, that in the Arab world they call the U.S.-Saudi war on Yemen. So, we, you know, through this alliance, we're, we're, we're dragged into some very dark places. Um, well, your documentary is called Kingdom of Silence. It's going to be on Showtime. Premier, it premieres on Showtime October 2nd. Um, it's executive produced by... Lawrence Wright and Alex guide me. Don't know them. Are they yeah, up and coming? You're, you're going to hear things from them. <laughs> you're gonna hear me, Alex Jibney. Uh, uh, that's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, what was I going to ask you about? Oh yeah. So access, I mean, you have built uh, probably why you're, you're probably the perfect guy for this film because you also have been able to like in a way Khashoggi, uh, Jamal Khashoggi, you've been able to, I assume, build many contacts and uh, connections over the, your years of journalism uh, in the, in these countries. I assume I mean, that's how you've been able to get the subjects that you got for this documentary. Yeah, definitely. I mean, y yes. I mean, it's you know years of doing the work in the region, but also uh, you mentioned the executive producers and like. Uh, you know, working with Lawrence Wright, who, you know, wrote The Looming Tower, the Pulitzer Prize winning, you know, kind of masterpiece early work on Al-Qaeda and all this. Uh, and with Alex Gibney, who needs no introduction on any podcast about documentary film, um, who also bring to the table, like, deep knowledge and, and, and connections. I mean, really, it was, it was an, an amazing team to be work with, working with, like, the, the best well, possible team. Were they really hands-on during this? Were they... Yeah, I mean, they were incredibly... Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, uh, yes, we want we wanted that involvement. I mean, Lawrence Wright uh, knows, you know, was a friend of Jamal's, right? Uh, knew him well, right? Um, and so we, uh, um, uh, you know, he was absolutely inval invaluable. And, and Alex, of course, is dug into this, you know, deeper than almost any other documentarian on the planet. So, uh, so their help was was absolutely invaluable. And it's sort of structured like a, a in a way, a thriller in the sense of the story is kind of out of a espionage novel. I mean, out of, um, Definitely. So. yeah, no, the twists and turns of his life. I mean, and uh, the fact that and they the touch on, turns, yeah. Yeah. And they touch on all of these, all of these incredible moments. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, he was, he was at, he was at the center of everything. Uh, um, knew everyone was uh, had his was involved in like all of the important kind of turns in the region. It's like uh, you know his his personal story is kind of a a roadmap to the hidden history of uh, of of America and Saudi's involvement in the region. Um, and does he have surviving family? And he Come does, on. but see, but it's a that's a um, his family. Uh, when he went into exile in the U.S. and started writing for the Post, uh, the Saudi uh, royal family, you know, um, canceled all their travel documents, so they can't leave the country. Um, and uh, and but you know, was kind of holding them hostage while he was writing. And uh, you know, after his death, uh, you know, one can there have been some reports about the pressures that they're under, but one can only imagine the kind of pressures they feel. So they they are not. Uh, they're not speaking, and indeed, it was a challenge of a story like this is the uh, is the incredible coercive power that 
that the kingdom of Saudi Arabia has uh, over people. So, you know, I mean, we, uh, we were actually, we were denied journalism visas. So I, I had to sneak into Saudi on a tourist visa and film. Um, and we talked to a, a ton of people, but uh, most of whom, well, most of pe the people we, we reached out to wouldn't talk at all. Many would speak uh, anonymously. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, it took a year for us to uh, cultivate relationships with people who were brave enough to come forward and speak, who knew him, who knew him best. Mm. Uh, and you shot right with, um, I guess, a discreet camera, or I don't know what you call yeah. it. In, in Saudi Arabia, I, I brought two mirrorless cameras, uh, you know, that. it was, uh, well, they're, you know, the, not, not the SLR, but the mirrorless versions now, which are the, which are, you know, they have shorter focal distance and they're sort of better, but they still look like little tourist cameras. Oh, so I, I, I carry like tourist cameras. Okay. Yeah, I carry two. And now that everyone has selfie sticks, I had a, I had a hand operated gimbal, gimbal for one. And then I had a long, long lens on the other. And I just looked like a, I looked like I was Instagramming. I was a, I was a social media <laughs> live, influencer live the kingdom had hired to Instagram. Yeah. Live Instagramming. I mean, it's kind of, it's amazing how, you know, social media technology now is, helps to, uh, you know, camouflage what you're doing. It, it, I hadn't thought of that before, but, you know, you, you, yeah, I, I guess I was shooting a short uh, film, um, which got halted. My, my big premiere got halted. Uh, but, um, and yes, if you insist, you can EP. We'll talk about it after this. Uh, but, uh, um, but, uh, and, you know, it, right in the airport, like at, at you know, uh, at Kennedy or LaGuardia, I can't remember now. I think we were at uh, Kennedy, yeah. And, you know, it, it actually, as long as you don't have a tripod, I mean, nobody's, nobody even looks at you like you're shooting a, a scene, but for all they know, you're just sort of, doing an Instagram photo or a live thing, you know, so nobody, the security people couldn't be bothered. Yeah, yeah. So in Saudi, that's how we rolled. But uh, one yeah. of, a, a fun thing about this was, um, I went back to Afghanistan uh, and we, you know, we were retracing Jamal's steps from the mountains down to the uh, oh, wow. with one of his old sort of comrades. But we, we were able, I mean, every time I've been there before, I, um, uh, you know, I've been, I was traveling very light here we managed to, I mean, we came with a full crew. So we had, you know, reds uh, with, you know, stabilizers and gimbals and, uh, and we're able to shoot a kind of like, you know, take the time to shoot beautifully in a place that has been incredibly difficult to do that in for, for a while. So it was, uh, it, that was great. Well, again, the, the documentary is called Kingdom of Silence and uh, it's gonna be on Showtime. So if, uh, subscribe to Showtime. You might even get a uh, free trial. Uh, yeah. If you have never, if you haven't subscribed before, it's uh, on October second, and um, it premieres anyway. And executive produced by Alex Gibney and Lawrence Wright, um, and directed by Rick Rowley. Um, you know, we need to really uh, champion our our journalists today. You know. Uh, I mean, he was very, uh, you know, he's, he's, I mean, he, you know, I guess he's a martyr. How do you feel about that? Yeah, absolutely. No, he was, uh, he was, he was murdered for speech. Uh, right. And by the end, you know, I mean, he, he played many different roles, complicated roles over his life, but, um, but uh, in the end, 
you know, he was a champion of the of the movement movements for freedom around the Arab Spring, and um, and uh, you know, and he was embraced by 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 many of them, and was, uh, um, you know, and that was that was what brought him to his death. So he's he's absolutely a martyr. And um, I, I suppose does uh, uh, did he have a uh, a widow? Or is he, is this, did you say that? Well, so his his life is. Uh, his personal life is very complicated okay. uh, and you no, know, no, I mean, it is, but, and the film, you know, we, we have to get into, get into much of that, but he had, um, yeah, he, in, in the late in his life, he had, uh, he was in this lonely moment of global exile in multiple cities and he had sort of complicated relationships. So he was married to this wonderful woman, uh, Hanan in, uh, in DC, who we, uh, who we filmed, filmed with. And then, um, at the same time, he he got engaged in Istanbul to another woman, uh, Hatija, who's also wonderful. Um, and um, uh, and yeah, I mean, we've spoken to we've we've spoken to many of his friends to try to understand that, like, right. and and yeah. reconcile all that. And they, um, you know, I mean, they uh, they say that at this moment in his life, uh, it was. Um, you know, he was so shattered by his, uh, by losing his family and losing everything, his friends and the entire like, oh, sure. world that he belonged to. Um, yeah, I have to imagine he's got to know his life's in jeopardy the moment he turned on, on the Saudi government. He had to know that every day could be potentially his last day. I, I can't put myself in his shoes and just try to, try to judge what I would do or, or guess what I would do and judge him for the choices he made on a personal level in order to uh, get by, in order to, uh, you know, maintain a certain level of, of, of happiness or mental health. You know, I, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, he's, he certainly knew the, knew the risks he was running at the end. I mean, he would get calls from Saad al-Qahtani, who's the, the henchman of MBS, um, you know, kind of thinly veiled threat saying, we're watching you, we're listening to you. Um, uh, you know, he got threatened on social media all the time and, and right. text messages all the time. And he, in the, in the last, uh, and, and attacked constantly the character assassinations and the press. And, um, so, uh, uh, it was, a it was an ever present thing that he, he was feeling near the end. Um, so are you, uh, what, 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 what how much of this was done? Prior to COVID, I mean, I, I guess it afforded you the great opportunity to uh, to do a lot of the post work. Yeah, we were we were very lucky. Our last interview was shot uh, like <laughs> two days before, like we came okay. back from Baltimore, and the you know the next day it was impossible to fly. Wow! Uh, so we we went right up to the end, um, and then uh, and then had a remote you know remote editing setup with which was tricky, right? Two editors and assistants, like in separate places, screen sharing and all that. Uh, so it, uh, but it worked, right? I mean, it, it worked, it worked wonderfully. It, everything takes about 50% longer than being in the room, but, uh, um, but it was, yeah, I'm very happy with the, how everyone was awesome and it was a great outcome. And are you, are you uh, taking a little time right now or are you just, I mean, I don't, well, I've never yeah, seen I mean, things are, up, so I don't know. <laughs> Well, things are ramping up now with the, you know, with the release. Uh, we're very excited about like on the, on the second next week. Um, and, uh, and I have other, I have other projects, but they're not actually in a, in a, in a discussable 
position. Oh yeah, no, that's okay. I was I was trying to just more talk in generalizations anyway. Yeah. Trying to figure out you're in a very pretty. Sorry about that. You're in a very pretty uh, room and uh, I know pastels and the leaves are just beginning to turn. I know. <laughs> I'm going to show you one thing. I, I'm so happy. I, oh, it may be too light. I don't know if it'll adjust, but no. There's a tree right outside my window, which is yeah, it's just fantastic. I mean, I'm so glad to be. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just so excited. Uh, I look out, and there's a tree with like you know turning red and gold. It's fantastic. It really is nice yeah. to be here. You know, not to have to travel to see the foliage, but to be amidst it is uh, pretty cool. Totally. Around February, the winter will start to seem long, uh, but, but that's the months <laughs> away. Yeah, that, that's almost, you know, never. <laughs> I'm, sure by, I'm sure by February things will change and we'll all be, uh, you know, I don't know, on vacation somewhere very nice and warm and tropical. Um, yeah. Anyway, I look forward to uh, seeing uh, Kingdom of Silence on Showtime. I've seen it, but I look forward to other people seeing it, I suppose, uh, on October 2nd on Showtime. But yeah, we should, I'll, I'll contact you because it, be, it would be fun to do something like that. Take care. Good luck with the Hope film. So. All right. See you, Adam. You bet. Bye. Uh, if you haven't given us a star rating or review, please go do that, please. Please, 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 please take a few seconds and just uh, quickly do that. Okay, subscribe if you haven't. We're on multiple podcast apps. So if you don't listen to this on Apple Podcasts, you can also, I don't know, you can go to Stitcher, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio. We put everything on YouTube, including videos. There's a video version of that Rick Rowley conversation that's on uh, the Film Rocks Radio YouTube channel. We'll have some of the conversation with uh, Josh and Jess up there any day. Uh, we, but, you know, we put lots of stuff up there as well. So you can listen to the show almost everywhere. But, you know, subscribe and follow and like because we need that. You know, when I started this podcast eight, nine years ago, it was a very different landscape. There were very few podcasts compared to now where there's a million I mean, now it's a matter of kind of climbing your way to the as high to as close to the top as you can get, and so any leg up helps. And and the way you do that is you get people to review, so your your podcast pops up in search results more frequently. That's the way it happens. People come across the the show, and um, I know you support what I'm doing, so that will show your support in a more direct way. Keep on tuning in. We've got wonderful shows ahead. Many great guests coming up on the show. Do take care of yourself and the ones you love. This is Adam Shartoff, the host of Film Wax Radio. Until next time.
the business. 